Full Life family. How you doing this morning? You guys doing okay? You glad to be in church? Anybody glad to be in church this morning? I'm so glad to be here, and it's, it's exciting to worship with you, and we sang that new song today, You Are My Portion. How many of you love Jesus with all your heart today? I'm telling you what, it's so good to be in the presence of God. Can you do me another favor? Can you help me welcome those who are watching us online today? Can we give them a good hand? Amen. I just want to look into the camera and say how much we're so glad you're joining us today, and we hope you felt the presence of God where you are like we have in the room today. Amen, everybody? Before we preach today, you heard Amber mention our 21 days of prayer and fasting. This is the final week. Man, it's been amazing. Amen? Some of you ladies were here Friday night, and you were able to pray along with uh, Miss Lori, and it was amazing. She told me how, how much the, the, just the presence of God was in the room, and you guys went after God. It's, it's, it just does my heart good to hear that, that, that uh, moms and, and wives and, and ladies, you're just going after God. So, so thankful for that. But this week, we have these same opportunities, uh, 6 a.m. prayer here in the, in the sanctuary, 7 a.m. prayer, where we join with Highlands Church, Church of the Highlands in Birmingham. We'll be broadcasting that live Monday through Friday. And then, of course, Friday night, you heard Amber talk about that. Listen, you don't want to miss Friday night. It's going to be a celebration. Amen? we got a couple of testimonies we want to share with you from some of our own full, very own full-life people of how God has done some amazing things in their lives. So you don't want to miss that night. It's going to be a night of worship and prayer and, and celebrating. Amen? And then, of course... Next Sunday, we're, we're going to, um, for finishing up our series today, gonna, I want to talk to you next week about, you know, just, just recast a vision for our church so you don't want to miss next Sunday. Amen? So also, I got a couple things here. If you're doing the 21 days with us, even if you're not, you should have been handed one of these today as you came in. What this is is, a, is a, really a way for you to pray for people that you're asking God to, to bring to Christ. And you, how many know some people that are far from God? So this, this card, you can put their names on there and put it in a prominent place, somewhere where maybe where you pray or in your car, on your refrigerator, and begin to pray the promises of God over their lives on, that are on the back of the card. So we, we're, we're believing that God's going to give us a harvest. Amen? And so I want us to pray together this lock arms. I have actually have one that I have, I've had for several months now with some names on it I've been praying for, and I'd keep it in my car, and I pray over them every time I see it. And so keep it somewhere invisible. And then also we have these available for you. If you're a note taker during the messages, you can grab these under the cross. You can take notes, and then on the back, lead you through some way to unpack it as you're at home called a soap method. So love for you to grab those. Those are free to you as you're, uh, you know, if you want to take notes today. So how many of you want to hear God's word? How many of you glad to hear God's word today? You love his word. We love his word around here. Amen. We are grounded in the word and we, we just want to dive into to this. And we've been in a series the last couple of weeks on worship. Specifically, we're talking about passionate worship. And so really the reason I felt God lead me this direction was that in our culture, it's really, it's really hard for us to keep a strong faith. I mean, would you agree? And so we've been saying, here, here are the ways that you can keep a strong faith in a culture that's drifting. How I many you know the culture's drifting in faith? And so for us to stay grounded, to stay true to, to who we are, who we are as Christians, it's really important that we stay uh, in that building that strong faith. And we said prayer is one of those keys, which we preached on prayer in January. We started the year off talking about praying first. And then I felt led going out of summer into the fall 
for us to talk about what it means to be a passionate worshiper because I believe that's another way that we build strong faith as we learn how to worship God. Amen? In a way that honors him, in a way that pleases God. Because worship's not about us. Amen? Who's it about? It's all about him. And so week one, here's what we said. We said your worship is a reflection of your relationship with God. How deep your relationship with him will be reflected in, in the level of your worship. We said that it's really, Jesus asked for two things when he said, here's what the true worshipers do. They worship in spirit and in truth. And we said that really the, the idea of spirit is that it's all our heart. It's with everything within us, we worship God. And then it's informed by the passage of scriptures that really tell us, here's the clear way of how to worship. And so we said, there's, that's the why. The reason we worship is because Jesus said, worship in spirit and in truth. And then last week, we talked about David. Remember, we talked about how that he was an exuberant worshiper, that he worshiped God with all his might, all his heart, and he didn't care who knew it. Amen. He was so in love with Jesus that he worshiped exuberantly, all in, right? And then we said he was repentant. Remember, he said he wasn't a perfect guy, but God used him so mightily despite his imperfection to be able to worship God passionately, he repented. So we said that the value of repentance is it's a daily thing, right? We repent daily so that we keep the intimacy, the closeness with God intact. Because we know that when, whenever we're in this, these moments where we're feeling more distant, it might be because we've got something we haven't said, Lord, I need you to search me and, and get, take care of, amen? And so we said repentance is good. And then we said that David's heart for worship really was reflected in his purpose. So he was a king, he was a musician, he was a worshiper, and he was a warrior. And all of those things, he walked in his purpose, and everything that he did brought glory to God. And so we really just presented the idea that worship is not just about music or singing, it's really about a lifestyle. So when you live your life for God, amen, you're actually worshiping. So today, what I'd like to do is get real practical. I want to talk to you about the how. We've talked about the why, and we talked about a person we can emulate, but now we're going to talk about the how. I'm going to get real practical with you today. And I'll say it this way, that, that when, you're, when you understand that God has given you so many vast expressions of how to worship God, it really is cool to be able to worship him in, in a variety of ways. And what I want to do is I want to present some of those to you that are straight from the Bible. I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm giving you what God's Word says about biblical expressions of worship. Now, I looked up the word expression, and here's what it says. It says, an exp hold on a minute. My, my iPad has gone wacko today. Has anybody ever had technology go wacko on you? I'm telling you what. Anyway, so here we are. The, the, the idea of, of expression is it's the act of saying what you think or showing how you feel using words or actions. And so how many of you know your, wor your worship is words, but it's also actions, the things that you do. And what I'd like to do is, is maybe stretch you a little bit, say, hey, all of us have our favorite way, don't we, of worshiping? Anybody have your favorite way of worshiping, your preferred method? Some of you, it's lifting your hands. Some of you, it's clapping. Some of you, it's bowing. All of them, we're going to talk about, they're legitimate forms of worship. But here's what I'd like to say. Can we expand it where, picture a person who's a master craftsman, like a carpenter. A carpenter always has what? He's always got a 
a tool belt, right? But he didn't have just one tool in it, does he? If all he had was a hammer, would he be in trouble? Yeah, because he wouldn't be able to measure anything. He wouldn't be able to mark anything. He wouldn't be able to cut anything. And so he'd be in a heap of trouble if all he had was a hammer, right? But because he's a master craftsman, he's a, he's a carpenter, that ha- he's got a tool belt full of tools. And so here's my, my aim today is to help you add a tool. Add a tool. Why? Because the more expressions that you have of worship, here's what I believe. I'm telling you my opinion, okay? I believe the deeper your worship, the deeper your connection with God. Amen? And so this is the the reason why I want to give this to you today. And I want you to lean into this. And maybe God would enhance your worship experience because you're expanding your tools. Does that make sense to everybody today? So remember this. Here's why we worship. We worship God because of what he's done. Has God done anything good for you today? This week? Has he been good to anybody? Yes. And for who he is, which takes it to a whole new level. When I worship him for who he is, that doesn't, that's not based on what he's done, right? It's based on just because he's good, right? And here's the thing. No matter what happens, if he's never done another good thing for me, he's still worthy of my worship because he's God, amen? And so why we worship, we worship for what he has done and for who he is. And so if you're taking notes today, here's the first thing I want to bring to you as far as, far as expressing worship. I think that pers- passionate worship is physical right? And our physical posture toward God really is a reflection of where our heart is with God. And you can notice, you look at people, you see the, by their body language, by their facial expressions, what kind of mood they're in or where they are. And so I believe we can see by the way people worship, maybe the reflection of where their heart is with God. So it's real important that we do this, that we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. That's what Paul wrote in Romans 12, 1. Let's read it together. Watch this. Watch what he says. This is the instruction he gives us about worship. Watch this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to do what? To offer your, everybody say it, your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And then he, what does he say? It's your true and proper Worship. So here's what we say. God, you don't just get some of me. What do you? We get all of me. And our bodies then are, an, we have the ability to use our bodies to express passionate worship toward God. Amen? And so here's the first one I'll present to you as we're offering our bodies, because with, that, with this idea of sacrifice, worship, presenting our bodies, here's an expression. Number one is bowing down. Now, the actual word worship in the Old Testament, the Hebrew literally means to bow down. In honor, in homage to. Does that make sense? And so bowing becomes a legitimate form of worship to God. And here's the reason I'll emphasize it. Because if you think about it, any, any king, if you're a part of a kingdom, any king, when a king would enter a room, all of his subjects would do what? Well, they would bow. Why would they bow? 
because, I heard it, because of their deep respect for their king. Does that make sense? So here's my question. How much more worthy is the king of kings and the Lord of lords worthy of your worship than some human king? Amen. He's worth it. Would you agree? Not only, he's more than worth it because of who he is. Can I get an amen, somebody? And so when, I, when the king enters the room, oh my goodness, I can't help. I got to get down on my knees. I got to say thank you, Lord, for your love for me. I got to say thank you because you're in a great and awesome God. Does anybody testify? So the awe and the wonder that we talked about in week one, that we worship from an overflow of awe and wonder, Tony, sends me to my knees. Amen. Anybody else feel that way? I'm going to bow before God as an act of worship. Here's the second one. Raised hands. Right? Come. Well, well, let's read that passage. Let me read this passage and then we'll move on. Come, let us worship and bow down. What does it say? Worship and bow down before the Lord. Right? That's our, that's our commandment out of Scripture. Psalm 95.6. Sorry, I missed that. I'm glad they put that up there for me. 1 Timothy 2.8 says this. If you'll put that up there, 1 Timothy 2.8. In every, notice it says every place. Every place of worship, what is, he, what is he asking for? All men to do what? Now when it says men, it's not talking about just men. It's a general, more general term, men and women, right? And so all men to do what? To lift their hands as they're praying, free from anger. Here's what I believe. When you're in the presence of God and you're worshiping, you got your hands up, do you think the Holy Spirit might convict you sometimes? He might say, that attitude, you know, you're still mad at that person. You're still not talking to so-and-so. And it's not a way to beat you over the head. It's actually a way to enhance your relationship with God so that you can, be, again, remember what we said, we can repent of it and get clear from it. And so what's Paul saying? Let's do it with open hands. Let's, let's lift our hands to God as an act of worship. Amen? Here, it's reiterated in Psalm 134 too. Lift your hands where? Where? Is this a sanctuary? Some people call it auditorium, some people, whatever it is, whatever you call it. This is a place where he's saying to us, what does he say? Lift your hands. What, what's the reason? Because somebody told me to? No, it's an expression. Remember, it's an expression of worship to him. I love this, folks, because raising your hands says this to God. Four things it says to God. Number one, I'm surrendering to the highest authority. I surrender. Amen. You can have it all, God. I'm not, I'm not holding anything back. You are the highest authority. You have every right to rule my life, and it's an act of surrender. The second thing it tells God is this. I'm coming to you vulnerable, hiding nothing. That's a vulnerable position, isn't it? And here, here's the thing. How many know God knows it all anyway? He knows what you did last night. Now, I'm not saying that to shame you or make you to feel guilty, but he does know. 
But aren't you glad you could come to him this morning and say, God, you know, I know I messed up last night, but how many of you know he's a gracious, loving Heavenly Father that's willing to forgive? And so when you come to him with this, in this posture, God, I need you. It really is. I'm vulnerable. You can have it all, God. All of my flaws, all of the things, all my habits, all my hangups, all my attitudes, God, take them now. I give them to you. I'm coming to him that way because he knows anyway. But he's lo- he loves you. How many know he loves you? Here's the third one. I'm coming like a little child. Wanting to be held by my dad. I remember my kids when they were younger. There were times, even, even, when, I, even when I would discipline them for something they did wrong. After a few minutes, you know what they would do? They would come running up to me and how would they hold their hands? Just like this. What were they saying? Daddy, please hold me. Please Let me feel your loving embrace. How many want your daddy God to do that with you this morning? And so when you lift your hands, it's like, Dad, would you please hold me for a minute? Let me feel your wonderful embrace. Let me feel your love. Let me feel your mercy. Let me feel your grace right now in this moment. That's what your lifted hand says to God. Guess what he does? He don't mind, does he? He's just, you know what? He's actually waiting for you to do that. Because he loves you. Turn to your neighbor and say, I know God loves me. My dad loves me this morning. Here's the, here's the fourth one. I want to I give you all that I have. It's an it's a all-out surrender, right? It's like, God, take my life, take my heart, take my thoughts, take everything I have. I give everything to you. That's really what you're saying to him, amen? You're giving him your all. Here's the third one. This is, this is one is you know, maybe a little intimidating for some people. Dancing. Psalm 149, verse 3. Praise him in the dance, or praise his name with dancing, accompanied by tambourine and harp. So how many of you know dancing is a biblical expression of worship? Now, I get it. Some of you are, boy, I could never do that. Maybe, maybe, maybe God's saying, okay, I'll give you my life. Or maybe, you're doing it, maybe you do it in private. But it's a biblical form, right? I've seen it done beautifully in church, too. You've seen it. So it's, it's a legitimate biblical expression of worship to God. Here's the next one. Clapping. How I many you know clapping can be worship? What does it say? Come on, everyone. Clap your hands. Shout to God with joyful praise. So your hands, come on, let's, let's just clap real quick. Come on, can you imagine? God loves to hear it. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about it in a few minutes when we're talking about music, but how many of you know these, these hands can be used to clap and give worship to God? We're talking about biblical expressions of worship. Here's the second one. If you're a passionate worshiper, you know it's musical. How many of you love music? Listen, God has put music in the soul of every person. Now, different styles, of course. You know, I'm not a big country music fan. Some of you guys love country music, and I'll, I'll forgive you for that, but that's okay. But it's okay, because we have, the music does something for the soul, doesn't it? It moves you. 
I mean, you, you could recall maybe your favorite song or you look back in a moment where that song touched you and you might tear up. Or there might be some song that whenever time you hear it, you just want to jump up and down. Maybe you want to dance a little bit, amen? Because God created you that way. Because there's power in music. It's evident in the scripture. Last week, we, we read you the story where Saul was tormented by, an, by, in his soul, his mind, his emotions were tormented. And what happened? The Bible says they chose David to play music. And it soothed his soul. So there are moments where you're feeling down. Music can soothe your soul. There's also moments where you can not only have it soothe your soul, but it can actually be an expression of your emotions. Like, you know, I'm a piano player, so I play, I don't play in public much, but I play at home and I'll play. And I'll, no matter, you know, maybe sometimes I'm feeling kind of sad, so I'll play and it's a reflection of where I'm at. It's okay, right? Or sometimes I'm happy and I'm just singing, I got joy and, and I'm singing, I'm, I'm playing. It doesn't matter. As long as you understand that there's power in music and it's a biblical expression of worship to God. Amen? I think it's probably the most powerful one, if, if I'm honest. Martin Luther, anybody know who Martin Luther is? The father of the Reformation. He's the one that, that nailed the 95 Theses. He says this about music. Music is the only art that can calm the agitations of the soul. It's one of the most magnificent and delightful presents that God has given to us. Isn't that beautiful? Watch this, what he says. Next to theology, I give music the place, highest place in honor. Well, that's pretty powerful, isn't it? So music is a beautiful way to express your worship. He even said this too. He said, music is the art of the prophets. Which means we understand that in the Old Testament, you, you remember if you've ever read, you know that the prophets, would, they, would, they would prophesy as somebody was playing and singing. It's over and over in Scripture. And it's beautiful that it's, it's the, the connection between the Word of God being proclaimed and music. And Martin Luther recognized this. I believe the church has recognized it for years. We've been, how many know we've been making music in church a long, long time? It's always been an expression of our worship to God. And so it's really, really powerful for us to embrace this and understand it as an expression. I believe one of the best passages to explain this to us and to show us is Psalm 150. So if you'll go with me to Psalm 150, I want to read this to you. And I want you to see this, how powerful this thing of music is. Here's what he says. He says, praise the Lord. He starts out, what does he say? Praise the Lord. So it's a commandment to praise him, right? And then he says, praise God where? And in his mighty heaven. And then he says in the next verse, verse 2, it says, praise him for his mighty works and for his unequal greatness. So you notice we have the where and the why right here. Where did he say the where was? The sanctuary, not mighty heaven. In other words, any, really anywhere. If you're in your car, guess what? That becomes your sanctuary, right? You got that, man, you turn that thing out. You know, you're blasting out. And I don't recommend taking your hands off the wheel to, to praise him. <laughs> but, there, but it's an opportunity, right? In your home, by yourself. You know, you know there, there's a connection between your prayer and, your, and the music. So I always have music on when I'm praying. Why? Because you really can't separate the two. 
It really is important. And so you have this opportunity to express through music. And then he says, why are we doing it? He says, because he is great, right? In other words, for who he is. And then it says, for his mighty works. So what's that? For what he's done. So remember we said that? Worship him for who he is and for what he's done. Very clear. And then he goes on and begins to show, show us some more how. Praise him with the blast of the ram's horn. Praise him with the lyre and the harp. Verse 4. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. There it is. Praise him with strings and flutes. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Boy, some of you don't like to hear that or see that, right? That's too loud. But what does it say? It doesn't just say clanging. It says loud clanging cymbals, right? Praise him. Let everything that breath sings praise to the Lord. And what is it? How's it end it? One more time. A reminder. What are we supposed to do? Praise the Lord. So you see, in these passages, every instrument that can be used to worship God, right? You see the 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 ram's horn, which was really it, it really was a, literally a ram's horn. Now, over time, it evolved into metal like a regular trumpet or a saxophone, something that had, you, bre- you breathe wind into and it becomes, and it makes a sound. And of course, if you've ever heard a, a symphony, you know there's a bunch of wind instruments in there, right? So you have the wind instruments. And then you have the percussive instruments. You have the drums. You have the cymbals. These are all that you make music by, right? Including the piano. You realize the piano is both a string instrument and a percussive instrument? Now, this, this here is not a real piano, guys. I don't know if you guys knew that or not, but it's actually a keyboard. So this is more just percussive, but a regular piano. If you've ever looked inside a piano, you'll notice there are strings, right? And there's tension on them. They're, they're pulled really tight, and these little hammers hit the strings. And so that's why it's both stringed and percussive, because you have both. It's beautiful, right? And then you have... You have, again, the percussive, you have, and then you have those stringed instruments, other stringed instruments, you have guitars. So every, every one of the instruments, except for the wind ones, are represented right here. Unfortunately, you know, in, in our kind of the, the, the season we're in of worship, it's more, it's more guitar-driven. And so you don't hear as many horns and stuff as you used to. In the 90s, if you ever listen to worship in the 90s, go back and listen to Ron Cannoli and other people like that. You know, all that kind of stuff and a lot of, lot of wind instruments in there. But, but you know what? All of them, all of them are biblical expressions of worship to God. And what's the ultimate goal? That God is glorified. And so music is a powerful way that you and I can express our worship to God. But how many of you know, and some of you may say, Pastor, I, I can't play a lick. I can't play nothing. Anybody else in here say that? But you know what? You're an instrument. Everybody hold your hands back up. What you got? Aren't these instruments? Now some of you, when you clap, you make the drummers cringe, okay? 
I'm just saying, because, you know, if you're in 4-4 time, the drummer is going to be hitting his snare on two and beats 2 and 4, right? And so he, that's keeping us in time. Well, some of y'all clap on 1 and 3. And so you're like, are you, or you might be clapping on 1 and 4 or 2 and 3. You're all over the place. It's okay because what? Because you're an instrument. Just stay away from the drummer so they can't hear you. Get in the back. You know, but still, listen, don't let that stop you. Amen. Why? Because these are, come on, help me somebody. These are instruments to worship God. Let's do it again. Come on. Let's, let's, let's praise God right now. Come on. Clap your hands, all you people shouting to God. There it is. There it is. Do you know that God loves that? He loves it. Your hands are an instrument. Is that it? Not at all. You see, your throat, and right in here, you have vocal cords, like a stringed instrument. Come on, somebody. And as you're breathing out, the air passes over those cords, and they vibrate, right? And that produces what? Your voice. You're an instrument. You have percussion. You have wind, come on somebody, and you have strings all in your body. Isn't that beautiful? And so it's not necessarily true that you can't play. You may not be that great at it, but you, got in, you are an instrument, amen? Why did he create you that way? Why did he create you with hands to clap and a, and a voice? Because he loves to hear and watch his kids worship him, amen? Do you see this? How powerful music is. In worship. Okay? Let's move on. Martin Luther said something else interesting. He said this. He said, the devil flees in the presence of music in worship. Almost as much as the word. What about a powerful combination of both? Music and the word. That's why Sundays can be so powerful, folks. Because we have both. And I want, to, I want you to see this, too, that music is not only important for your expression of worship, but it's, it's powerful warfare against the enemy. How many of you know you're in a spiritual war? The weapons we fight with are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The music that you sing, the music that you play can be a weapon. I want to show you a story in the Old Testament. This is in the book of 2 Chronicles. And I want you to notice, this is a physical battle, but I want you to make this application spiritually. And I want you to see this. All right, let's read this story together. And I want you to, we're going to catch a couple things out of here. Number one, he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. And I want you to take this to heart yourselves. Do not be what? Afraid or be Discourage, why? Because God is fighting the battle. How many you know it's his battle, not yours? It's never your battle. That might help a, a few people in this room today. Lean in. It's never your battle. Whose is it? It don't matter what you're facing. It's always his battle. And how many you know he can take care of it? 
Watch this. Tomorrow march down against them. They will be climbing up to the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the, gor- end of the gorge in the, the desert of Jarel. Verse 17. You will not have to fight. Think about that for a second. He's telling an army, you're not going to have to fight. Could you imagine the look on their faces? Wait, wait, what? what? But remember what he told them. It's not your battle. It's mine. And here's what he's saying. I'm going to fight it my way. Now watch what his way entails. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. How many know that God wants to deliver you today? How many know he's fighting your battle? Some of you need to hear that today, that there's deliverance for you today. And what's your position? It doesn't say retreat, does it? What does it say? What does Ephesians 6 say? Stand. And when you've all done all, what do you do? Stand. And so what's he saying? Stand and watch as I deliver on your behalf. Come on, somebody. That helps somebody today, I hope. And he says, I will give you Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Do you remember the promise that Jesus made in the Great Commission? He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen. Let's keep reading. Jehoshaphat, what did he do? Come on. He bowed down. What was he doing? He's acknowledging the greatness of God. He's acknowledging this battle is not mine, it's yours. And he's worshiping. And guess what all the people do? They follow suit. What's their response? They're bowing down in worship. They're following the command to worship God with their body. And then it says, then some Levites. Does anybody know who the Levites were in the Old Testament? They were the ones that God set apart to take care of the tabernacle, including musical worship. So these guys were musicians. They were trained to sing, to play. And they're the ones that God said, I'm taking these guys and I'm going to use them to win this battle. So he says, then some Levites from Kohathites and the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord. Look what they're doing. What are they doing? They stand, stand up and they praise him, the God of Israel, with what? Was it, oh, praise God. Praise God. No, what was it? God, we worship you. You are the creator of the universe. We lift our voice and praise to you. It was a loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God. There it is. Have faith in who? Yourself, your ability? No. In the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. There's music, right? As they went out and at the head of the army. Notice, where were they? The musicians and singers were not in the back. They were in the front of the army. And they sang praise to him for the splendor of his holiness. And they went out ahead of them saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. 
As they begin to sing in praise, watch what happened. The Lord set, set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah. They were defeated. Have they lifted a sword? Not one. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped destroy one another. Listen, folks, they, God fought that battle through, our, through their, the men and women worshiping. Amen? How many of you know that your weapon of worship and praise is a spiritual weapon? This isn't a physical battle you're fighting, folks. But your, your weapons are mighty. The, the weapon of praise and worship is mighty to bring down strongholds, to fight a spiritual battle. Can I get an amen? If you're glad for that, can you put your hands together and bless the Lord in this place? Amen. Amen. Give him praise. Because the reality is your enemy, Satan, is already defeated. Do you realize that? The moment Jesus said it is finished on the cross, it was done. And so all this is, is you're just being, you're being reminded of how powerful your God is, that he will fight your battles for you if you'll surrender and say, I'm just going to praise and worship him. Amen? If you'll just praise him, I promise you the enemy is defeated. Is that good news today? Music is a spiritual weapon, a mighty weapon to defeat the enemy. Here's the third one. Passionate worship is vocal. I want to read to you a picture of what's going on in heaven or even future worship in heaven, Revelation chapter 5. And I want you to see this. It says, we're talking about the elders and the angels and all those gathered around. It says, and they sang. What they sing? What was it? A new song, and here's the song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Talking about Jesus, right? Because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons. Oh, this is beautiful, folks. From where? From every tribe, every language, people, and nation. Anybody glad that the lamb was slain for you? That his blood gives you access to God? Come on, can you give him praise for that today? What's the song they were singing? They were singing about the blood of Christ, about the gospel. They're singing the gospel, right? And it says you have made them to be kingdom and priests. Aren't you, aren't you glad that you're a, a royal priesthood today? That you can go to God anywhere, anytime, seven days a week, 24 hours a day because of what Jesus did. The veil has been torn, folks. You can enter into the presence of God without any kind of apprehension. Aren't you glad you can come boldly today? You're a priesthood. The Bible calls us a priesthood of believers. So there's the picture of what are they doing? They're singing to God. It's vocal. You can hear it. Can you imagine that sound? Would, would it be magical? Would it be, would it be just awe-striking? That many billions of people singing unto the Lamb? I'm ready to join that, aren't you? Psalm 33.3 says this, Sing to him a new song. You notice the emphasis everywhere we look. What is it? It's a new song. We're singing new songs. And it says, Play skillfully with shouts of joy. Here's a precedent for us to have excellence in our worship, in the way we, what we present up here. Musicians that are skilled, 
David even did it. In the Old Testament, if you look in the tabernacle, he chose skilled musicians to play and sing before the Lord. Amen? So there's a precedence there for excellence in music. I remember when I was in college, I was in a part of a choir and we, Lee University Campus Choir. Actually, Ella, I'm Ella, Ella, um, Elaine, Elena Dover is a part of Campus Choir right now. So she's following her pastor's footsteps. Isn't that great? But I remember our director, David Horton, he's been, he went on to be with Jesus several years ago. Man, he impacted my life in such a powerful way because he was a, I believe he had a heart after, like David. He loved to worship, man. But you know what? He had a doctorate in music. We would rehearse the dog out of the songs we would sing to the point where we had them memorized. The point is, we valued excellence in, our, in the music we presented. But then, boy, when it, when it came time to up on the stage, it was on, y'all. I'm going to tell you right now, it was on. We were worshiping. We were singing at the top of our lungs. We were lifting our hands. And folks, the Lord would show up in a powerful way. Amen? Folks, that's, that's, that's what God has planted deep in my heart. That's why I love worshiping so much because God has put it in our hearts to worship him. And I will sing to the top of my lungs. Amen? That he is great and mighty. Anybody else with me this morning? So there's, there's, there's proven benefits to singing. Did you know that? There's been research done, studies done, that singing improves your posture. When you think about it, you got an upright posture, chest high, and you're just, you're in this upright. Is that not a reflection of where your heart should be to? I'm upright before God, and let me just sing, because that puts you in the best position to make the best sound. You got Michelle here. She's a vocal teacher. She, she's helping with that. So we got this good posture that we're singing. And so when you sing, it improves your posture. It improves your mental alertness. There's endorphins and stuff that are released in your body that helps you have this sense of, it's actually a sense of pleasure when you sing. So it's emotionally healthy. It's physically healthy. There's so many benefits to singing. You believe that's an accident? No. What a wonderful expression of worship is to be able to sing. Amen? And again, it doesn't matter if you can sing a tune in a bucket. Sing. Amen? And there's spiritual benefits as well. Number one, when you sing, you're walking in obedience. Because what does the Bible say? Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing, sing, sing. Everybody sing. Not some people, but everybody. Number two, it implants the truth of God in your heart. Has anybody ever tried to memorize Scripture? What's the best way to memorize Scripture? Put it to a song. You'll remember it all day long, right? So why not add that? And so if nothing else, just throw your Bible open and begin to sing the Psalms. And when you're singing, what's happening? Not only are you memorizing it, but what's God doing? He's getting it deep. What what does the word of God do? It transforms the heart. The psalmist said it it revives the soul when we 
take in his word. And so when you're singing the word of God, you're singing the promises of God, you're embedding truths down deep in your heart. And when they're that deep, boy, it's beautiful, isn't it? Here's another one. It testifies. It's a verbal testimony for God. So when we sing about the cross, or when we sing about the faithfulness of God, whatever the song is, other people hear it, right? And when you sing, hey, that's, wait, that's the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work on somebody who's far from God. I mean, you maybe you have the window rolled down at the red light. Thank you for the cross, Lord. You never know. Your song can testify of the goodness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. Anybody glad that you have a song in your heart today, a song of thanksgiving? It's our battle cry. Amen? Good stuff, huh? Is, anybody, is this helping anybody today? No, thank you, D. No less than nine times in the Bible, the Scripture declares for us to sing a new song. And I get it. Some of you are like, well, I like them old songs. Well, guess what? At one time, those old songs were new songs. And there's nothing wrong with singing them. I'm not saying there's anything wrong. But just like Martin Luther said, he said, the songs of my day, they're, 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 here's what he felt. They became lifeless. And he said, we got to put some fresh new infusion of, of new songs into our repertoire because they become lifeless if, we don't, if we're not careful. That's why I believe the, the Bible commands us to sing a new song so that, that they don't become stale and lifeless. Are you all with me this morning? Elmer Towns and Ed Stetzer wrote a book where they described some of the things that we have been battling for years in what we call the worship wars, right? In the 200s, this is 200 years after Christ, they were complaining and saying that instruments were worldly because they were using them in worship. In the 300s, hymns that had rhythm and meter were considered worldly because they had a rhythm to them. This is 300. We're not talking about 2022 or three. We're talking about the 200s and 300s. 1400s. It's too loud. Anybody ever heard that before? And it drowns out the words. So this has been going on for centuries, Lord. Amen. 1500s. Martin Luther. You know what what he does? He takes bar songs and theater songs and puts Christian lyrics to them. Why? Because he knew people would recognize They would recognize that tune, and they would, now it's for God. I mean, he, he took some flack for that. You know he did. What's the point? The point is, the scripture says, we need a fresh, new song. And here's what I believe. Yes, the God anointed the hymn writers. I love them. But you know what? There's a... There's a, a a generation of new songwriters who are just as anointed. Can I get amen this morning? Who have, God has infused them with a fresh new song 
And it's, and it's good for the body of Christ, amen, to sing that new song. Worthy is your name, Jesus. You deserve the praise. Worthy is your name. The song's less than three years old. The one we sang this morning. You are my portion, my soul's delight. Man, what a beautiful lyric, huh? In every season you satisfy. That song's less than a year old. Folks, God is infusing the church with fresh new music that brings glory and honor to him. He's asking for a new song. Why don't we sing it? Come on, somebody. Sing a new song. Amen. We have something to sing about, don't we? If you've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, if you have understand the depths of love that Christ demonstrated for you when he went to the cross, you have something to sing about. Can I get an amen? Here's the last one before we go. Passionate worship is emotional. Now listen, folks. I get it. There can be some negative connotations to that. But I need you to understand something. When I say that it's emotional, it doesn't mean your emotions control you. Right? Here's what it is. It doesn't matter. If I come in here on a Sunday morning, it doesn't matter how I feel. Right? He's still worthy of my worship. Which means I might push through not feeling good and still throw my hands up. I'll push through the emotion and still sing. But here's the thing. It's emotional. It can't help but not be. Amen? Because when you're, when you're worshiping with all your heart, all your soul, guess what? That is your emotions. Are you with me? So I want you to, I want you to see this. This is, again, a picture of worship in heaven. Revelations 5, 12. And they sang in a mighty chorus. Think about that. And they sang in a mighty chorus. We're talking about every tribe, every tongue, every nation. What are they doing? Singing. You think it was from the heart? It had to be because watch what they sang. Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Folks, when we sing about the king of kings and the Lord of lords, it's emotional. I don't know about you. When I think about where I was before Jesus and I think about what he's done for me, I can't help but to get emotional. Amen. We used to sing a song when I think about the Lord, you guys remember that? How he saved me, how he raised me. Man, it makes me want to shout, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're worthy, amen? Is he worthy this morning? This is the song of the redeemed. It's a song where I'm giving God my whole heart in singing and worship. Remember, it's an appreciation for who he is what he's done. Skip Heitzig, pastor at Albuquerque, his Calvary Church at Albuquerque, says this, when revival comes to the heart, renewal comes to the human voice. In other words, when God's doing it here, it's going to be reflected here. Amen. I can't help but sing. Here's what one theologian said. 
I would rather tone down a fanatic than try to resurrect a corpse. Because you can disciple a fanatic. It's hard to resurrect the dead, amen? So, folks, this is, this is what this is all about. It's all about understanding. Remember, expressions, biblical expressions, enlarging your tools, not, not weight-wise, but en- <laughs> enlarging your tools in your tool belt so you have more. And I, I, believe, I believe there's a direct correlation between the number and the, the uses of your biblical expression and the depth of your worship. I challenge you to seek the Lord in these expressions. So here in just a few minutes, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you as a church body, I want us to come here in just a few minutes after I give you the response. I want, to, I want us to gather. And here's what I'm going to ask you. I'm not, going to, I'm not twisting your arm to do anything, okay? I want you... As a, as a means of, hey, I'm going to worship God. Some of you may want to come bow. Some of you may want to lift your hands. Some of you may just want to stand quietly with whatever, however it is. We're going to sing. Amen. And we're just going to practice some of these things. All right? But first, let me give you the, the, the takeaways. Number one, let's passionately worship God. How? Remember, we're expanding our repertoire. Bowing. Lifting our hands, clapping, dancing, all right? And then here's what we're going to do. The second one, they'll put up there for me. Put, put the second one up there with the gift of music. Listen, again, if you can't play, put on a, put on a, C, you know, a CD. Good, good grief. Nobody listens to CDs anymore, do they? I'm dating myself. Turn on your Apple playlist. Fill it full of music that's going to lift your heart in worship and make music. Use the gift of music as an expression to worship God. Number three, sing. John Wesley said this, everybody sing. Not some of you, but all of you. Amen? And then lastly, give him your all. Remember, all my heart, all my soul. All my mind, everything worshiping him, including my emotions. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's service. We pray that God has used this moment to greatly impact your life. We invite you to live fully alive in Christ with us here at Full Life Church. We'll see you next week.